Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. everybody it is friday december 2nd 2022 and it is indeed a heck of a morning we are live a little bit earlier on the ma fighting twitter spaces and if you miss anything you can hear the show in its entirety on the ma fighting podcasting network hope everyone's having a great week so far having a great friday i am mike heck the ufc orlando weigh-ins just wrapped up Main event is official between Kevin Holland and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. They were the first two gentlemen, first two fighters to the scale. So they are good to go. Jack Hermanson cut it a little bit close, but he made weight at 186. The old boxer redemption shines through as he prefers to face short notice opponent Roman Delize. Matt Schnell initially missed weight, but then he shaved the glorious locks off of his head. Shaved, head, bald Matt Schnell. Could become a new mythical fighter in the MMA space. Ends up making weight at 126. And even if he didn't make weight, you can't fault the attempt because he did everything he could. That's for damn sure. So good on Matt Schnell. He gets it done. One hiccup on the scale. Phil Rowe did miss weight by two and a half pounds. Not sure if that fight's official as of yet. Maybe it is. But it probably will be. It'll be some sort of fine, I'm sure. So Phil Rowe will take on the returning Nico Price. And I'm sure Nico will get a couple extra bucks in the old bank account. So... Phil Rowe's a massive welterweight. I don't even know how the hell he makes 170 most of the time. He's just gigantic. But who knows? Maybe it's just a bump in the road and he can get that all figured out. If not, he'll still be a, a pretty reasonably sized middleweight if he wants to, to go up to 185. But that fight with Nico Price should be a lot of fun. But it is Friday, so we can talk about UFC Orlando. And on this show, Fridays are free-for-all Friday. There's no agenda, no real topics. I mean, technically, there really isn't topics on the show anyways because you guys just ask whatever the hell you, hell you want anyways. But 
We could talk about MMA. We could talk about not MMA. We could talk about gambling shenanigans. I mean, maybe we don't because apparently MMA media is not talking about it or covering it in any way. Um, But it is free for all Friday. We could talk about my horrific sports takes because apparently people like to go back into time and pull up my awful sports takes (laughs) because... I took a a big proverbial negative spin on the Buffalo Bills after the New England Patriots beat them at home last year, and they only threw the ball twice, I think it was, and they just out-toughed and out-manned the Buffalo Bills, and it just was a horrible – all I'll say is if that happened to the Patriots at home, I would understand – that sort of take on the other end, but it got brought back up a year later. I've been taking a little bit of a beating for that, but I came out. I said I was wrong. Clearly I was wrong in January when the Bills went to New England, beat the holy hell out of them. So look, I'm a stubborn prick. I can't be right all the time. I'm wrong a lot. That case, I was definitely wrong. And I didn't think it'd be brought up a year later, but I take it on the chin. If you're wrong, you're wrong. I wouldn't trade the history of these franchises for anything in the world. Proud to be a Patriots fan through the good, the great, the awful. And I've been part of some awful, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not the youngest person in the world. I'm going to be 40 in February. I've been a part of six Super Bowls. I've been a part of some really shitty sports franchises, some really bad sports seasons here in New England. We have been heartbroken more times than not in my lifetime. So it is what it is. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. But let's go to you guys. We'll talk about whatever the the hell you want. Toke, kick us off, my man. What is on your mind on this Friday? How are you? Yes, last time. Uh, It's tough to to make a second second go at that. Um, But I'm going to say this. I am impressed with how how you can throw that much money after one guy and then not promote him at all. You talked about it yesterday. It's Roberto Soldich. So I've seen promo videos of Puchinowski's fight in two weeks from K- in KSW. I've seen promo uh, promo things with Brandon freaking Vera, who doesn't even it doesn't even. <sighs> What's his role anymore? He's not the champion anymore. He's not a draw. What is he to you? One. I know he's on this card as well. You're promoting him and you're not promoting probably your best commodity at this point. And KSW has put Janowski opposing his upcoming opponent two weeks from now on top of a skyscraper in Krakow. Or whatever, uh, sorry, which whichever Polish town it is. This is insane. How can you be this bad with money? How can you be this bad with promoting? You just signed an Amazon deal for <laughs> not billions of dollars, but you know what I mean. I mean, this is this is your job. What? 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 <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I just. This is, I don't have any more points than that. What is your job if you're not going to promote your biggest commodity? 
Have a happy Friday, Mike. Yeah, man, I, I don't get it. They're, I mean, they are just fumbling the bag everywhere. You would think after the PFL card this past Friday and the momentum that that card garnered. And look, you can say negative things about the PFL. They do a lot of things wrong. There's no doubt about it. But at least they try. At least they let people know that they're doing things. One doesn't. They just assume because billions of people watch our product, they all know. Roberto Soldich was one of the biggest free agents of the year. Hardcore fans all know who this guy is. Everybody was in play for this guy. We talked about, we've been talking about Roberto Soldich on this show almost the entire year because his, his free agency period was going to begin in the summer. We're all wondering where he's going to go. And he did interviews with everybody from Ariel to me, junkie, everybody. The guy was out there. Met with the UFC. He got offers from everybody. One gets him. One wins the pony. And I'm sure they paid him an awful lot of money to win said pony. He's making his debut tonight and nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows that RDR is fighting tonight. Nobody knows. It's just so silly. How an MMA promotion that claims that they are number two that claims that they might even be number one overall because of the amount of people they reach are just so bad at this. They're just so bad at this. Come on, man. Tell the people. Tell the people these things are happening so we can watch. You know what people are going to watch? They're going to watch the freaking Icon FC card because people are fighting backstage at the weigh-ins. And by the way, for anyone who says that that was staged, you're probably wrong because Joe Panafiel is that dude and always seems to get in some kind of skirmish every time he fights. So I don't buy that it's a promotional tool at all. I think that that was 100% legit and 100% real. I would like I know more about that card than I do about the one card. And that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be the case. I knew a week ago that Micah Miller was fighting Steven Seiler in a tough rematch tonight on that card. But most people who are tapped into this space, most people, a lot of people in this room didn't even know that Roberto Soldich was fighting tonight until yesterday, maybe, or the day before. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. It's friggin' stupid. Their whole we're fixing weight cutting thing is just an abomination. I, I don't get it. I don't know how they're making money. I, I, I mean, they're, make, they're signing deals, and apparently they're okay with that. But, I mean, the UFC, they put on these fight night cards. And typically, let's be honest, they don't care. They know people are just going to watch. They just have to fulfill an obligation. They're going to get a bunch of money. It's all good. But at least they have built their brand enough that it doesn't even matter. One hasn't. One absolutely has not. Now, there's a certain group of people who follow everything they do, and kudos to you. But for those of us, especially here in North America, who are trying to keep up with everything that's going on in the MMA space, it's very difficult to do. And you did a great job with the Demetrius Johnson Marais fight when you ran that rematch back, that, that Amazon card. You promoted the hell out of it. You promoted the hell out of it. 
and people watched and it was an intriguing event and you were trending and people were talking about it. And because of the success of that card, you just stopped doing it. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Let's go to double A on this free for all Friday. Double A, what's up, buddy? How are you? Good, good, good. Tuivasa and uh, Ser- Sergei Pavlovich. Um, it's a top five, um, top four versus top five. Um, um, for the winner, where 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 was where does it put them? Do you think in terms of like contendership? I know Ty's coming off a loss, and we've also got this whole John Jones blades in Ghana mess. I guess you can call it in March. I'm just curious on your thoughts on that. All right, have a good day, Mike. Everyone else, have a good day. You're all awesome. Peace. Double A always bringing the positivity, and I dig it. Uh, let me just let me pull up the MMA Fighting Global rankings for a moment, if we could. Let's see where we're at. Let's see where these guys are both ranked at heavyweight. Uh, Tai Tuivasa number four, Sergey Pavlovich number six. I think there's probably more. I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. If you're looking from a meritocratic perspective, they get a jump up. If you look at it from who's going to draw more, I would say Ty probably needs this one more. Because let's let's be honest. The fact that Ty Tuivasa is a top five heavyweight, if you told me two years ago that Ty Tuivasa was going to be a top five heavyweight, I probably wouldn't have believed you. And this is not taking a dig at the man. He just is who he is. He's a get or get got kind of guy. And he's been getting a lot more than getting got. And he's got some big wins. And this is why during this whole interim heavyweight title discussion throughout the year, I thought that Tai Tuivasa should have just been right in there. And had we known that nothing was going to happen with this division at all, John Jones versus Tai Tuivasa would have been a fine fight. Because when else are you going to be able to get Tai into a title fight, especially with how this division looks right, right now? Instead, you put him in there with Ciro Gone, and that's fine because you had other plans that didn't work out. But now you're throwing him in there with Sergey Pavlovich. I definitely like the betting odds are what they are, but I think Tai Tuivasa has a chance to beat anybody in the, not anybody, but I think Curtis Blades would probably beat him pretty convincingly. I think Ty is, I mean, Ty's got a chance to win. Ty definitely has a chance to win this fight. So I think this means more to Ty. I think the road up to a title fight for Pavlovich is going to be a little bit longer, a little bit rockier. But I think Ty is just so over with the fans right now. He's, he brings in views. He brings in viewership. I think Ty needs this one a little bit more, for being honest. But I don't know. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. As far as like actual stakes go... There's not a ton of them because we don't know what the hell's going on right now. We assume, and we talked about this earlier on Tuesday, talks, like I said, talks are going pretty well on both sides for the Singano Jones fight. Nothing is done. We have nothing even formally offered or anything yet. But this is what the, this is the fight that everybody wants. 
And Gano versus Jones in March. It all depends on whether or not cooler heads will prevail in this Ngano versus the UFC thing. Can they get his contract all squared away? All of that. But it seems like things are going pretty well. And it seems like John's on board too. So we'll see. But until that fight happens, I mean, you have to assume Cyril gone Curtis Blades would probably be the other fight that they would make. And then the winner of this fight is just kind of, what do we do now? Because they both already fought Derek Lewis. We don't know when Tommy Aspinall is coming back. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But I think Ty could uh, Ty could get in the mix if he beat Sergey Pavlovich. That's for sure. Let's go to Joe. Joe, hello. Joe, are you there? All right, I'm not hearing you. Jump back in and we'll get to you. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or two million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. Those with ambitious, out-of-reach ideas begging to become real solutions. They share a vision for how our world and our lives can thrive when bold thinking meets strong silicon. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy through the power of supercomputing. They dream of trust and privacy for all, of advancing and expanding education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to build something better, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Let's go to Alex. Alex, hello. Just got to unmute yourself. There we go. Hey, Mike. All right, Mike. So you're getting dragged on Twitter for your, your cold take. I want to give you an opportunity to put some shine on yourself. When were you right, MMA or whatever? When, everyone has their one where, like, I called it. I was right. In MMA or sports or whatever. What, which one was yours? Oh, man. Like, in comparison to that? I don't know, because – most of my like really confident takes have been just wrong because <laughs> they just have been wrong. 
Glover Teixeira was like my most confident pick of 2022. From October of last year when Glover won the belt, I was like, he's going to fight Yuri and he's going to take him down. He's going to tap him in the first round. And so many times I was like, all right, I'm so right. And everyone thought I was crazy. I was so close to being right. Um, I mean, I guess just off the top of my head, maybe, and and this probably isn't the best example, but I go back to this, just thinking about it. I have to dig a little bit deeper, but I was, I mean, with regular sports, I would say I was pretty beat up by my friends when I said the Red Sox should trade Domar Garcia Parra during the year that they ended up winning the World Series, that they should have just traded him and got somebody else because he was a negative Nancy. He was just sitting there sulking on the bench. And every time I said, they're like, oh, he's a franchise player. I'm like, get rid of his ass because you have the core, you have the nucleus, you have a stacked team. Just bring another shortstop. Bring in a guy who can get the occasional base hit and can feel the ground ball. And that's what they did. And they won the freaking World Series. As far as MA goes, and this, like, if you go back and watch the fight, it's not one that ages very well, but it happens. The only MMA bet I ever made in my life was Frankie Edgar challenging BJ Penn for the lightweight title the first time, their first fight. And I bet on Frankie Edgar to beat him at big-time dog odds. And most people feel like BJ got the big, fat hose job. And re-watching it multiple times, you're right. But I said Frankie Edgar was going was gonna to leave that arena as the lightweight champion. And people thought I was insane. And maybe he didn't win the fight all in all. But on that night, baby... The judges were on his side, and he won the lightweight title, and I cashed the only MMA bet I ever made. Now, who knows if any of us will be able to cash MMA bets in the future, but that's probably the one, like the MMA take that I got a lot of crap for. And this is before I even started covering the sport. But that's where I'm at. That's probably the one. Joe, do we have you? Yes, I can hear you, Mike. Heck of a morning to you. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Two quick comments. My big call was Holmes Rousey. I told everybody I knew she was going to knock her out with that kick. And don't cry about New England because I'm from Detroit where the Lions play, bro. So don't ever tell me about (laughs) your hardship in New England, please. (laughs) Um, Anyway, MMA thing, uh, free for all Friday. So I I have a deep opinion that you know, everybody complains about the refing a lot, which sometimes it's real egregious. But if the refs all did everything exactly the same by the books, there would be no need for refs. So I look at like the 10-8 scoring and how it was revised a few years back. I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Um, and I think it was the space the other day. It might have been you on YouTube, but I recently heard you talk about like how refs don't want to take a point for grabbing the fence or for doing this or for doing that because they don't want to cost them the fight. But I'm high on the opinion that if the refs took all the points they were supposed to, it would help the judges to use the new 10-8, 10-7 scoring system and help correct a lot of what we complain about. I feel it falls on the judges. I'm just wondering how you feel about that statement. Or on the refs. I'm sorry, Mike. It falls on the refs to start the, the process. I'm just wondering how you feel about that statement. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, but again, the a lot of refs feel, and I believe it was Herb Dean doing it. Maybe it was an interview with Helen Yee where he talked about this, where he's just like, "Hey, if it's if a point in a fight is is gigantic, so unless it's like a completely egregious thing, it's hard to take a point." But I'm not at like here's the thing with with refing and the cheating and the fence grabbing and all that stuff. I'm not advocating for you to take a point every time. I'm not. I'm definitely not. What I'm saying is there should be some sort of repercussions for the cheating. So if fighter A is going for a takedown and against fighter B and fighter B grabs the fence and is not taken down, the referee should stop the fight and be like, hey, you grab the fence, get on your back. And then fighter A gets to get on top of him, even in full guard, that's fine. But at least you give him credit for the work he did for the takedown, which he would have gotten if he didn't grab the fence. At least you're still near the fence. Fighter B has a chance to get back to his feet. If it happens a second time, then you bring him into the middle of the octagon. Same thing. You're on your back. This time you don't have the fence to help you out. And if it happens a third time, then you take a point. Just do that. I, I don't understand why that can't be a thing. And I know they have, there's an ABC meeting coming up in Vegas, I think sometime in July. I would love for this to be brought up. Just do that. Like, I'm not asking you to take a point, but to say that we can't do anything because we're afraid to take a point, like, you've got to be able to do something. You have to be able to do something. And sometimes the refs come through and they look at replays, they do different things, and they make the right call. But to have that mentality that, well, we're, we don't want to take a point because it'll ruin the fight, I, that's fine. But you still have to penalize the fighter who cheated. And that's why we keep saying, like, just keep cheating because no one is going to stop you from doing it, so just keep doing it. And I'll blame anybody for doing it because of the pay structure and all that. So I don't know if that's going to change unless there's – just actual rule changes like that. I don't think that's that bad of a rule. There's some repercussions. You're not taking a point unless it gets done three times. Then you have to take a point. Then you have to take a point. Eventually it just gets too ridiculous. And then find ways with, with the kicks of the ding ding and the eye pokes and all that stuff. Those are a little different, obviously, because it can affect be totally affect outcomes in different ways from a physical sense. But we just got to work on that. And the referees need to be a part of this. Like, how can we do this? Make other fighters happy. Especially the fighters who are not actually committing the foul, but are trying to advance their position advantageously. But can't because the fighter they're fighting is, fight is grabbing the fence or doing something illegal by the rules to avoid the takedown. As far as the judging goes, it's tough, man. Like, I don't think it's ever going to change. So I don't want to go on a diatribe. I know a lot of people talk about open scoring and I know Ariel kind of brought up us kind of running our mouths a little bit about open scoring on the last watch party. And it was all out of love, but I don't think open scoring changes anything. Like I think it does in some, in some ways, like obviously if you, if you know what the score is like that can change some things. But I also know that in some of those Invicta events, when they introduced open scoring, the teams, the fighters, they didn't even want to use it because they felt it would it would affect the outcomes from a mental perspective. And that's fine. And if you want to introduce that, that's cool. 
But in terms of how people view fights and how people talk about the judging and all that, I just think there's going to be way more complaints than ever before. Because instead of just seeing them at the end of the fight and actually like getting a view of the scorecards and then complaining about it, instead we're just going to be complaining about it every round of every fight of every event. And that's just not a, a world I want to live in on social media, if we're being honest. So there are a lot of changes that need, be, need to be made in, in that sense, from the refs and how they penalize to the judges to how, and how they score, all that stuff. And unfortunately, friends, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And we're just going to have to live in this world. But we still get fights. And that's okay. Viking, hello. Mike. Good, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. I just like this time of the space. Uh, 10 p.m. where I live. And the things about, and one more thing about the BTL, that was Jed Mishu being honest about his favorite fighter ever. So I like that kind of Jed. I like that uh, kind of Jed Mishu being honest. Not just uh, the rider who uh, leaves the thing. How do you see the comparison between McGregor and Paddy? And Paddy being the biggest draw in the future. And in addition to my question, um, Carl McGregor climbed his uh, high ladder by beating champions a uh, lot of lot of trash talk uh, being double champ uh, predicting his own fights so and Paddy is in the hardest lightweight division with the killers and fans will question him about his, uh, about his opponent eventually and if he loses before becoming that kind of hype, hype trend uh, where will we be in terms of the draw thank you Thanks, man. I get I get where your question is coming from. That's for sure. It's, to me, it's just it's tough to compare them because it's just different times. It's just different times. It's different divisions. They weren't on ESPN. There's not a million cards every year. It's just different. How they view draws in 2022 is much different than how they view draws back when Connor was on the rise. Now, people knew who Connor was from Cage Warriors. People knew who he was when he first got to the UFC. And some of his wins along the way have aged really well, like the Max Holloway fight. No one really understood where those two guys would end up going. And with Patty, and maybe it could have been the same with Connor, but Connor just kept getting the Dustin Poirier fight was so big for Connor because people knew who Dustin was. Everyone had a lot of respect for him. And Connor just went in and did, said what he was going to do and then went in there and did it. And then he got the opportunity. And at that point, he was just so over, you couldn't stop it. So you just had to give him one more chance. You had to give get Aldo in the front row for the Dennis Seaver fight. And you had to just create that moment. Patty, and, it, and at featherweight, you could kind of do it because Aldo was just such a dominant champion. He was beating everybody. People were just waiting for Connor to get his shot. I don't necessarily think people are feeling the same about Patty right now. I will say this, though. Jarrett Gordon is a big step up in competition. This is definitely the toughest guy he's ever fought in his career. So this is a big step up. It's in the United States. 
So I think they're going to kind of test out to see how the fans view him, if he gets the same sort of following. Because the thing with Connor is that his fans traveled with him wherever he fought. And I was at the Dennis Seaver fight as a fan. And I wanted, and, and I sat in a section with literally hundreds of people from Ireland who flew over to watch this fight. And it was a nightmare experience because those guys were, I mean, those guys are just off their rocker. They were so friggin' drunk, just frustrating, kept putting hands on people, like not punching, but just like grab it. Like they just kept like grabbing my shoulders and stuff when Connor came out. And I'm like, dude, relax. Like good on you. And I can't be getting in fights at the TD garden. Cause my family members are like heads of security there. But I remember how, how much of a horrible time they had that night. Cause they just kept throwing people out left and right. But Patty's just got to keep winning, man. And here's the thing with Patty. If he loses this fight, same with Molly McCann. And I know Ariel didn't agree with this. And I do some other people don't agree with this. I liked the Aaron Blanchfield booking because if Molly won, you could, I mean, you could have given her a title fight and no one would have been blinking an eye about it. Might've been too soon from a meritocratic perspective, but her beating Aaron Blanchfield would have been a very big deal. And it would, that, that's a win that would have mattered and her losing. Yeah. It stings. Like she's not going to fight for a world title, but that's okay. No one expected Molly McCann to fight for a world title. Her two wins were against, the two two of the lowest ranked fighters in the division. She got a big step up with Aaron. But guess what? When the UFC goes back to the UK, Molly's going to get a fight she's heavily favored in. She's going to go out there and do work, and she's going to look like a star again. They're fine. Molly is going to be fine. Same with Patty. Same with Patty. Now, I know people look at Patty a little differently than Molly. Molly's a little more over. More people just like her. Patty Garter's reaction, whether positively or negatively. But I still feel it's kind of the same thing. If Patty loses to Jared Gordon, yeah, it's going to sting for a while. People are going to talk crap about him on social media. But you know what changes that narrative? You go in in front of a crowd that supports you, and you go get a finish. And then they'll be like, all right, it's the Patty show again. Patty's in a division where... I mean, I've been pretty clear about how I feel about Patty's title hopes. I don't think they're there. I don't think he's going to be fighting for a title. I don't think he's going to be a top 10 lightweight. But that's okay. That's fine. He could still be a star. He could still be a draw. If he loses, people are still going to want to see what happens in his next fight. Same with Molly. Same with Connor. When Connor loses, people want to see what he's going to do next. I think he's fine either way. If he beats Jared Gordon, I become a little bit more of a believer that maybe he could be a top 15 lightweight, but I still don't think he's beating the Armand Sarukians or the Matush Gamrots or the Jalen Turners of the world. But if he beats Jared Gordon, I think Jalen Turner is like the perfect fight to make for Patty. Because if he wins, then we're like, oh, damn. Okay, maybe this guy is better than we thought. And if he loses, Jalen gets that bump. He gets the rub. And there you go. But Patty winning or losing, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. He's still going to be over. And it's just a different time right now. There's so many cards to fill. Patty's still a name. No matter what his record is, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. But I get where you're coming from. The rise of popularity is pretty similar, but I think they're kind of different just with the timing of everything. Rips and Picks, hello. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Can you hear me? 
Yes, I can. Perfect, perfect. Just uh, had just a couple questions for you. Um, I know we were talking a little bit just about John Jones uh, in the Nganu match a little bit earlier this week, but j- just curious, like where is Stipe in this? I mean, I-, I feel like originally people were talking about Jones versus Stipe if Nganu wasn't going to be there. Now it's just John's Nganu, and then if Ganu can't fight, now it's like Curtis Blades is being labeled as the second choice. Um, I'm just curious, like why Stipe isn't in the mix, or you know, just what is going on with that. Um, and then this whole Kraus gambling situation or, you know, just this whole UFC now new, you know, Ontario rules and things. Um, I mean, just how far do you think this situation can go? Like we've seen fixes in boxing. We've seen NBA refs paid off to throw games. Um, we don't even know really, really the situation that's still going to come out of this minor uh, minor fight, but I've just never seen a commission ban all betting lines you know, from New Jersey for a gym or ban all betting lines in a complete city um, for all UFC. Um, And now they're kind of posing like the impossible mission of show us you can prevent this from happening again, which, you know, like, does any sport like can any sport really guarantee they can't have that happen again? I I just feel like it's crazy. Um, It's it's just such a nuts situation. And I know I I was seeing some things saying people aren't covering it or something like that. So don't worry. You guys have covered it just as much as anyone else. I don't know why that was ever brought up. I thought that was funny. But, um, yeah, just curious how much worse you you think this can get. And uh, that's all I got for you, Mike. Happy Friday, man. Thank you, sir. Uh, So I'll start with the Stipe thing. So I had heard some things. I know Ariel talked about it on his show. they, they wanted the John Jones-Stipe fight for December 10th. They wanted it. John was in. Stipe, from what I had, it was a money thing more or less for Stipe. I think Stipe's happy right now. Like, I think Stipe is happy not fighting. I think, you know, he's a full-time firefighter. He's a dad. He's a husband. He loves the family life. He's not a big spotlight guy. I think he's content just not fighting anymore. I honestly do. I, I think he's fine just not fighting anymore. Now, if you get an Nganu or you get a John Jones, that's different. But it come, it, to me, at least, and this is the way I look at it, it comes down to money. And I think what the UFC did was like, hey, here's this fight with John Jones. Do you want it? And he says, sure. And they say, well, we're going to pay you this amount of money. And he's like, no, I want this amount of money. And the UFC is like, no. Take it or leave it. And Steve is like, all right, I'll just leave it then because it's not worth it to me. Legacy's fine. He doesn't care about that. He just wants to be paid. If he's going to fight, if he's going to go through a camp and do all this again, he wants to be compensated for it. And I don't blame the man. The man wants to stay home with his family. Man wants to be a firefighter. And I get it. So unless it's life-changing, I don't think he – like, I'll be shocked if he fights again. I honestly would not be surprised if we, if we have seen the last Stipe fight. I could be wrong about that, but he just seems very happy not being a fighter unless it's like life-changing money. So I think that's kind of why he's out of the mix. They offered him the John fight. John was in. Seems it comes down to money for Stipe. And when you're happy with everything else going on in your life, why create headaches if it's not worth it to him? And for Stipe, fighting John Jones for the amount of money that the UFC offered him was not worth it to him. So I don't know if he fights again. We'll see. I could be wrong. Maybe the UFC comes back and 
throws him some more money and gives him an offer he really can't refuse. But until that happens, I don't think he's at all interested in fighting. And good on him. And good on him. The Kraus thing, or the, the UFC gambling scandal. This, this, the whole thing with Ontario banning UFC bets, this is a very big deal, friends. Like, this is a massive, massive deal. And it's weird. And I mention this because we've, I've ranted on the show about people's takes about how the MA media is not covering it and all that stuff. And then I got into a little Twitter back and forth with uh, Edwards Kim, and then Killershaw jumped in and had his things to say. Nothing irks me more than seeing that. Well, the MA media is not covering this. Why is the MA media covering this? You have to understand, I can come on this show and talk about it all I want. I can tell you what I think, and I can give you my perception of things. But my perception doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean anything. Here's the problem. I can sit here all day long and say, this is James Krause's fault, right? I could, I could say what everybody else is saying. I can say that. This is my show. I can say whatever I want. I'm not going to because I, do, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know what is happening here. And the problem is no one's talking about it. Like, no one is talking. If I could show you my, like, text records and phone records and email records, there are weeks, weeks full of messages and phone calls being made to, like, everybody. And I have gotten many no comments. Many were not commenting at this time. Many read no replies. Many straight to voicemails. Many voicemails not returned. No one's saying a word. No one's saying a word. Now, I understand ESPN reported on it. Yahoo reported on it. And I, if you go back to the post-fight show right after the Minner, Nerd, and Becca fight, we talked about it. We talked about how it looked. With the Miles Johns thing. We went on post-fight show and talked about it. I told you what I knew. And what I knew that day was the same thing I knew two days later. Whatever, basically what Kevin Aioli reported that day was basically what I was told by someone who wished to remain anonymous. That it was, it was more of a, James, you probably shouldn't be out in the public right now. Probably shouldn't be quartering guys while there's investigations going on. Wasn't like the UFC didn't suspend him or anything like that. It was more of a, the Nevada commission's like, not a good look, bro. So you should probably sit this one out. We've talked to many people from the UFC. They got nothing. They got nothing. I have one person from the UFC tell me like, we're trying to figure out the same information you are. And I'll try to get you an update. And there hasn't been one. I could sit here and just rip James Krause to shreds right now. But what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if for some reason, and look, does the perception not look great? 100%. This looks bad. But you can point the finger all you want, but what if you're wrong? 
What if you're wrong and you don't have all the information? What if it wasn't Kraus? What if it was like a teammate of Derek Minner or something? What if it was like a friend of his? Family members fuck other family members over all the time. It's the world we live in. It could be anybody. It could be anybody. We see, we're also seeing TJ, like the TJ Dillashaw thing. Now, there wasn't a ton of significant line movements in that fight. Nothing like the Minner, Nerd, and Becca fight. But TJ Dillashaw basically fought Aljamain Sterling with one arm. And nobody knew until the fight was over. Or in the middle of the fight when his shoulder separated. And then we learn more about it. Like, there's more to this. There's definitely more to it. And before any of this stuff happened, the UFC already put out that rule, like, UFC fighters cannot bet on UFC fights. You just can't do it. And some of the stuff Kraus has done, we've seen screenshots of his Discord and some of that stuff. Doesn't look great. He's got he's, the video clip of him in the MA hour saying he makes more money gambling than he did fighting. Doesn't look great right now. But again, we don't. We just don't know. We just don't know. Now I can go back and just be like, well, in 2020, the UFC said this about gambling. In 2021, the UFC said this about gambling. That's cool, but all we're doing is just throwing out coincidental things, conspiracy theories, because we don't know. We don't know. And a lot of people are like, this, this could be the Pete Rose of MMA. Yeah, it could be. But we don't know if it is. We don't know if it is. Looking at it right now, this is bad. That Ontario thing is bad. And I don't think until there is a scapegoat, until there is a reason, until the truth comes out, I don't think they're going to be the only ones. This could be a snowball effect where multiple states follow suit. It could happen. Like, this is, not, this is not good. Like, we all are in agreement that this looks really bad. But we also have no idea what's happening because no one's saying anything. It's just this whole – I even told Luke Thomas because he chimed in on the, on the Twitter thing yesterday because he's one of the people that is saying, like, I don't understand why the MA media is not leaning into this more. And I get it, but it, we can only lean into it so much. Because we don't have any information. We just have nothing. We have what we think it looks like. But that's all we can go on. It's, it's, I have never in my career had more trouble getting an answer to anything. I can't even get anybody to answer. I couldn't get anybody to answer why Kraus, like just confirming Kraus was removed. Like I couldn't get anyone on the record saying like, Outside of the UFC just saying, we didn't suspend Kraus. We didn't pull him. No one's saying anything. Like, I've never experienced this. I had an easier time from, I had an easier time with, like, the overall commission. Remember when the UFC was going to do UFC 249 in California at Itachi Palace? Remember that? And the commission was like, we're not, we're not even going to sanction this. We're not even going to sanction this card. And that was a big deal. I reached out to like many commission members, busted my ass, and finally got somebody to be like, you know what? We're actually going to sanction this event. 
The event didn't happen until a few months later and they moved to Jacksonville because of everything going on. We can paint our own pictures as to why. But even I got like, even that was easier to get. It's, I, it's easier for me to figure out what's going on with France Ngannou and John Jones right now than it is to get anybody to say anything about this. It's crazy. It's crazy. So do I agree it's a massive story? It might be the biggest story of the year? Absolutely. But can we report on it without get, having any information? No, we can't. We can't. Believe me. Trust me on this. There ain't a sponsor on the planet that is going to stop me from reporting on this. Again, with this narrative that the UFC credential pulling, you think I care about that? Do you on it? Like, look at my history with MMA fighting. Do you think I care if I don't attend or cover a UFC event in person? I love traveling and I love doing that, but I'm not even covering events anymore. Like, I covered Jacksonville because I could drive there at an hour and a half. I got to do International Fight Week, which was cool because they did the radio row setup. But what have I been doing the last few pay-per-views? What am I doing next Saturday? I'm not going to Vegas. I'm going to freaking New York to sit in a studio and watch the fights with you guys. And I'm fine doing that the rest of my career. I could not care less if the UFC is like, we're banning Mike Heck from covering our events. I do not care. I could still do my job. That's the one beautiful thing about the pandemic is that it taught us that we don't even need to be there if we don't have to be. I could still do what I do without being there. I could not care less if they banned me. And why would this story ban me anyways? Their freaking broadcast partner is reporting on it. They got more information than any of us do. They ain't banned. I could care less about any of that stuff, but this is obviously going to be, this is going to get worse before it gets better, in my opinion. But this is, this is one of the big mysteries right now. Where was Dana White during France and Ghanu Ciro gone? What was in the bag of Atman Azaitar in Abu Dhabi? What is going on with this gambling scenario? I would love to know. Trust me, I would love to know. And if I find out, you'll be the first to know. And I've been working on it. Trust me. I have people attached to this situation that I've talked to consistently that won't return anything from me anymore. I think I've hurt relationships trying to figure out some answers to this story. And it's not that even I was digging like too bad. It was just simple questions. And I think relationships have been kind of damaged because of it. So... Trust me when I tell you, we are trying to get some answers for you. There just aren't any to give you. Believe me, the rush is real with this one. There just ain't anything to it. This investigation has to close. We have to get some results, and then we can go from there. But right now, there just ain't anything. There's just nothing to it. But if you want to ask me about it, we'll keep talking about it. But this ain't a good look, friends. It ain't a good look. This Ontario thing is, is huge news. That's why we wrote it up. That's there. They spoke. They put it out for the public to see. They put it out there. I'll take that all day. If all these commissions want to do that, all these different levels of government want to come out and say those things, that makes my job way easier. That's the first 
real thing that's come out of this was that until the UFC could figure out a way where everything's on the up and up and it's proven to us, we ain't taking bets. And I feel like there's going to be more joining them, honestly. But again, I'd love to give you the tea. I just got no tea to give you. Neither does anybody else. So please, for the love of God, even if it's misconstrued on social media, stop, stop with this narrative that we ain't covering it, that we're afraid to cover it, that we're afraid of the UFC, we're afraid of losing sponsors. That is horseshit, friends. It's not true. It's not true. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tristan, hello. Hear me? Yep, I got you. All right, all positive vibes. Let's be positive. (laughs) Let's Let's go. Um, My my focus is here is on uh, Tracy Cortez versus the Amanda Hebas fight. Uh, It's very interesting especially from Amanda Heba's side of things. Of, I think at first I didn't like it. I didn't like that Amanda Hebas was going back and forth. I thought, you know what, like, I think she's better stay at Strawway and, um, you know, try to move up the rankings and, you know, see if you go make a run at the title. But I think, I think you've said this before. You, you like it that she's going back and forth and, Watching the past couple of fights, I've seen like the evolution of her where she's gotten much better over time. She's really trying to be well-rounded, especially with her striking. Now, I know she got knocked out by Miranda, uh, Marina Rodriguez, but she's and even with her fight against Caitlin Chikagin, and some people felt that she won that fight, you could just see the evolution that she's getting better. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity for her to keep going back and forth just as, as much as it's done wonders for Jessica Andrade, right? Jessica Andrade, I could fight at strawweight, I could fight at flyweight, go back and forth. And if you look at her now, if she goes back to strawweight, straw at some point she's going to get a title shot, right? Another run at the title. She stays at flyweight and gets some wins there. <laughs> Who knows? She could be fighting for the flyweight title. So it's just, what you know, what's her outlook on Amanda Hebus is what she's doing, um, going back and forth and, Opening, opening more opportunities. Like after this fight, next year she said she wants to go back down the strawway and take some fights there. But I think she always wants to have opportunities because she wants to fight. And it's, it was funny hearing her at the uh, the post fights, uh, you know, the pre fight uh, media day. And she's talking about like she's got to be very strategic here against Tracy here. But 
she—it was so funny. Like when she hits the crowd, they're like erupting, like "Oh my god!" That she's just like, "Oh!" She gets crazy and she she wants to scrap, just like a Benil Dariush or um, other fighters. Every time they they hear the crowd, everything goes out the window, and they just want to brawl and put it, put some entertaining and fun fights. So, you know, what what's your outlook on what Amanda Hebus is doing, deciding to go back and forth through divisions? And how fun that could be for her because you could match her up with so many fighters. And just want your thoughts on that. Everybody have a heck of a morning and enjoy your Friday in the fights this weekend. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, man. I like what she's doing. She's, I mean, Amanda's a delight. She's her personality is incredible. She's a fun fighter. She just wants to fight. She's not like the just gone drive situation is 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 kind of interesting because. With Zhang as the champion, I mean, there's still a story there. Like, Zhang, just, we, we almost didn't even, it's, it's almost like, I'm not going to say the fight didn't exist, but it was just, she just blasted Jessica. Like, that fight never really got going. So, while Zhang is a tremendous performance and she's blistered her, I don't feel like a ton of questions were answered in that fight. So, I still want to see it. I still want to see it. And if, Zhang fights Rose and Rose wins. Like, they're one and one. She's right there. 125, I feel like there's big fights for her. Like, she's fighting Lauren Murphy. Big deal. It's a big opponent. Someone who fought for the title not that long ago. But if she beats Lauren Murphy, like, do, do I think she's getting another title shot? Like, this quickly after we, what we saw when Shevchenko fought Andrade's first time? Probably not. But she just wants to fight. The opportunities are there. I mean, she's taking fights, she's probably getting some moolah to do so, and good on her. And I think that's kind of where Amanda is right now. Amanda's not in any sort of title hunt right now. Her beating Caitlin Chukagan would have put her right in the title hunt. She gave Caitlin a friggin' fight and a half. And this Tracy fight is it's a good one. This is a really good fight. It's, especially on the on the undercard. This is the most compelling fight on the undercard for sure. Where are the betting lines right now? They were like a complete pick them the last time I looked at it. Yep, still a complete pick them. Minus 110s on both sides. It's a great fight. It's a great fight. If Amanda can stay on her feet, she wins. If Tracy, and we'll know, we'll know pretty quickly how this fight's going to go. I think Amanda's takedown defense is, is a little bit better than people give it credit for. She's improved a lot on, in that aspect. But... If Tracy gets her down and holds her there for like three minutes in the first round, this is the fight we're going to get. But if Amanda can show some takedown defense and make Tracy pay for her entries, it's Amanda's fight to lose. It's really interesting. Who can implement their game plan? Can Amanda stay upright? If she can, how is Tracy going to respond? A lot to like about that fight. I like what, I like what Amanda's doing right now. They offer your fight, take the damn fight. Get, get that money. That's how you become a star. You take fights. You get it. You get out there. You let people see you. That's how it works. Henderson, hello. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning to you, man. You too. I'm, uh, I'm excited for the card tonight. I'm a big Wonder Boy fan. And one thing that I noticed hasn't – a lot of people haven't really been talking about, I doubt, because people don't follow Wonder Boy as closely as, as his fans do, but he's been having the worst time making weight because – 
before the Burns fight, he actually got hospitalized. He was like puking all over the UFC backstage on the other fighters. And then before the Bilal fight, he was feeling so sick. Like even his pre like fight uh, videos, he was like, had no voice. Uh, and he, he keeps saying like, I'm working on it, but just being older, it's so hard to make weight. So I think he made weight this morning pretty easily. He showed up early and he was actually a pound under, I think, what he needed to be. So hopefully he has that under control. And if he does, we might be seeing a Wonder Boy that we haven't seen maybe since like the Luke fight, one that actually made weight cleanly. So uh, I wanted to know what you thought about that. And also, either way, win or lose, could you see Wonder Boy just moving up? Because who wants to make weight at 40 years old, really? So I think he could have a lot of fun fights at one division up. All right, that's it. Bye. Thanks, man. Thank you, sir. Yeah, he looked good today. He looked good. I saw some of like the Instagram posts where he was all toweled up and covered up and sweating his ass off. Wonderboy's a big dude, man. He's a big guy. He's like 200 pounds. So that is not – and he's. Ta- I've talked about it with him for years. That is not an easy weight cut for him. It is not an easy weight cut. But he made it pretty good today. He looked good, looked fresh. I don't know how that's going to translate into the fight tomorrow, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe – Maybe we get the that version of this where you fought Vicente Luque. Maybe we get that. I don't know. But we'll see. And as far as him moving up to 185, yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but I think it depends on the matchup. Like, he ain't going up there and fighting freaking Hamza at 185. That's for sure. But he's talked a lot about fighting Nick Diaz and stuff, or, you know, if Robbie Lawler wants to do it at 185, like, fights like that I think he would take up at 185, but it makes no sense for him to go up there and fight Drickus Duplessis. Maybe he wants to run him back with Darren Till someday. I don't know. I still think Wonderboy won that fight, by the way. But I don't think he's like I don't think he's going to retire or anything like that if he loses to Kevin Holland. I'll have my official pick on the preview show at 3 p.m. Eastern, but I'm back and forth on this one. I'm back and forth on this one. One day I wake up and I think Kevin's going to win. Next day I wake up and I think Wonderboy's going to win. A certain like narrative I keep seeing is that, well, Kevin Holland's just going to take Steven down a bunch of times. Okay. Give me, like, give me the, the history of that. Give me the history of that. Yeah, he got taken down 10 times in his last two fights, but it was freaking Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad. Like these are guys who take people down for the most part. So they're known for. They take you down, they beat you up on the ground. But look at the rest of like look at the rest of his career. Matt Brown took him down five times in his second UFC fight. Tyron Woodley took him down once in the first title fight, once in the second title fight. You know how many times have you been taken down in his UFC career outside of that? Zero. Zero. And he's been in there with guys who took shots at him. Patrick Cote, Jake Ellenberger, Johnny Hendricks. Those guys took shots at him. Even Mazadal. This is 2017 Mazadal. This wasn't BMF champion Jorge Mazadal. He shot takedowns too. Couldn't get him down. Thompson's tough to take down, man. He's tough. And Kevin Holland ain't a D1 wrestler. He ain't Gilbert Burns. 
He ain't Bilal Muhammad. I don't think Stephen Thompson's takedown defense historically is being taken into account enough. But I also don't think Kevin Holland's going to be stringing takedowns together in this fight. When Kevin Holland says, I'm, I'm not going to shoot on him. I'm going to fight him. And we're going to stand up for as long as this fight lasts. I believe him. Do I think Kevin's going to try at some point? Yeah, probably. But do I think he's going to attempt like 15 takedowns in this fight? Absolutely not. Which is what makes this fight interesting. But I'm looking at this from a, I found 20 bucks, but magically I can only bet on one guy based on the odds. I'm putting it on Wonder Boy. I think there's value plus 145. I think he can win. I think this is a 25-minute stand-up battle. I think Wonderboy can win this fight. The one thing that concerns me, he's going to be 40 in two months. And there's if there's anybody that's undefeated, it's father and mother time. They're always undefeated. But how will it translate in the octagon? We shall see. Let's go to MMA Locker Room. Hello. Hey, what's going on, Mike? How's everybody doing today in this MMA community? going on man how are good, you good good man love everything you over there doing at uh at the website and everything but um just to speak on this main event a little bit uh i got some little things that's gonna kind of sway me on the other direction i bet kevin holland when he opened up at a minus 110 one of the reasons why is because i've been betting him pretty much i would say the last six fights that he had and a lot of those times you had to bet him at like a minus 180 a minus 220 you know, a big juice price tag, you know, and right now we're getting them pretty much at a pick em price. So, you know, I actually like that price tag right there. Now he's at a minus 160, minus 145. I don't like that if anybody's taking a stab at it at that price now. Just because of this, Wonderboy showed he has the fight IQ, the fight resume to where if, if the fight's not going his way, he can make the adjustments mid throughout the fight. Kevin Holland's not the same guy like that. If, if one thing's not working for him, he's going to go back to that over and over again. He's not going to be able to make the adjustments. So I can kind of see Wonder Boy doing those little quickie side kicks, uh, two jab punches and getting out the way real quick by the time Kevin Holland tries to counter and he's just dancing around him. So that's the only thing that kind of scares me off this fight is the fight IQ of Steven Wonder Boy Thompson. I think that he knows a good enough game plan to put together you know, to win at least three rounds against a fighter like Kevin Holland. But could be wrong, could be right. Hopefully, I just get it right for my fight. Thanks, man. You're not, you're not wrong. Like, from a betting perspective, I think all the value in this fight is on Wonderboy at, at plus money. Holland, I, I, listen, how could you not like Kevin Holland? Guy's a great personality, fun-ass fighter. Dude is a G. He's a gamer. But, I mean, like I said, I've made one, one bet in my MMA life. I cashed it. I retired right then and there. But is Kevin Holland a guy you can trust your money with at minus 170? I don't know. I don't know. Especially in a, in a matchup like this. Now, could Kevin Holland just knock Stephen Thompson dead? It's possible. It's possible. I think if a finish comes in this fight, it's coming from the Kevin Holland side. But Tom, Steven's freaking durable, man. Dude's durable. He's only been knocked out once. And it was by Anthony Pettis. 
that crazy Superman punch. But the fight, the way that fight was going, Wonderboy was looking pretty good. He won like the first nine minutes of that fight. And then Pettis knocked him out. I think he beat Darren Till. He got dropped at one point in that fight, but he was fine. And this is like Darren Till fighting at welterweight. He fought Tyron Woodley, who's one of the big hitters, twice. Got dropped, but didn't get finished. Like, especially that first fight, that one that was a draw. The fact that Wonderboy didn't get stopped in that fight just goes to tell you just how durable this cat is. But again, my biggest concern is just, is he just getting up there too much? I don't know. This ain't Gilbert Burns and Bilali's fighting. You look back on the Jeff Neal and the Vicente Luque fights and you feel pretty good. But again, that was two years ago, the Jeff Neal fight. That was over three years ago, the Luque fight. He hasn't fought in almost a year since the Bilal loss. I get why there's pause, but I do think if you're looking at this from a dollars and cents perspective, I think it's hard to bet on Holland here. I just think there's value on Wonderboy. I think this fight's... I think it's close to a 50-50 fight. So I think there is value on Wonderboy. All right, let's end with you ahead. You keep showing up, and then you keep disappearing, and you keep showing up, and you keep disappearing. What is it ahead? Huh? It's because your internet connection is stinky? Looks like it. The wheel is spinning. Come on ahead. Ooh. Freaking ahead. I finally, after all these shows and all these months, you keep coming on this show and you say, hey, Mike, I got a headline for you. And then we finally use one that you give us and then you come back the next day for a, for a follow-up and nothing. Yeah. Yesterday was, a, yesterday was a tough day. I got heat from like so many people for the whole gambling thing, for the whole Buffalo Bills take, for the whole heck of a morning episode asking the McGregor-Loboff question. Like I wrote an article like trying to sell you that fight. At this point, people, you understand what this is. We do a show. You guys ask questions. We take the compelling questions. One ends up being more compelling than the next in some way, form, or fashion, and that's just how we headline the show. That's all. All right. Ahead, this is it. Do or die, my man. Hopefully we have you. Otherwise, I got to get going. And the wheel continues to spin. Internet connection junk. I see you waving, bro. I know it ain't on my end because we've been taking calls for the last hour. I'm trying to hit. I'm trying.
Nope, not happening. But Carcax coming in to save the day. All right. Hello. Okay, so my question is, um, does, so Connor wants to come back, and we all know that it takes six months for the USAL thing to, to, to be cleared, right? So my question was, is there any like specific reason it's six months? Like, you know, how many, if they need multiple tests, or is it just how long the tests take? Or is it, or is it both? Uh, it's probably a combination of the two. But that's just, that's the rule. That's the rule. If you get out of the pool, you need six months to get back in. I mean, Henry Cejudo just did the same thing. Now, the UFC is able to use exemptions if they like. They've used them before. Um, yeah, I mean, they used an exemption for Brock Lesnar and didn't work out too well because he ended up testing positive for that fight anyway. So, But they could use it on Connor. They could use it on Connor. Connor said he just has to test twice and he's back in. Now, do, is that true? I don't know. Only a few people know the true answer to that question, but if he comes back to the pool in February and he passes a couple of tests, the UFC will probably just be like, all right, good enough for me. But again, I think the six-month time frame might actually work out well because he's got a lot going on. He's probably still healing up a little bit. That was a nasty injury he had. That was like a really, really gnarly, bad injury. And maybe he just needs more time. So if he comes back in the pool in February, he could still potentially fight in the summer. He could book a fight. He just can't compete. So let's go to a hit. I think I said the name, and I have a feeling you're going to say the name too. And There you are. Yes. Thank you. Just wait, and he let like to try and let me in. You're very kind, Mike. But uh, the the thing is, unfortunately, I can't be kind back because I'm coming on here. I'm sure you saw yesterday, Mike. Be honest, right? When you saw the Henry Cejudo news, did you think I was going to come on here and rub it in your face? Yes or no? Yeah, <laughs> of course I did. Yeah, you'd be right. I'm hella petty. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, not sorry, but I'm I'm hella petty. In, I'm in your face, Mike. It, it turns out I'm getting what I want. The rest of you lot in the group aren't. Listen, but with regards to Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo, here's the thing. Like, I, I was actually willing to meet you halfway, Mike, because here's the, like after thinking about it, Henry... Okay, the way he left the UFC, yeah, maybe he doesn't deserve the title shot. But I've got to be real. Anything is better than having Aljamain Sterling as the champion. I wasn't going to say, I was going to say this yesterday, but then I saw Alaya Quinta and I was like, I don't need to get into any beef or anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to like wind him up or anything like that. So, but I'm going to be real. Like, and it's not because I don't uh, like Al Jermaine as a person. And I, I'm the one who defended Al Jermaine after UFC 259. Uh, he took a knee to the head. I defended him when there were other people like, uh, like Ariel who were like, why is Al Jermaine taking pictures and stuff? I was like, that doesn't matter. Yarn need him in the head. But I've got to be honest, looking at Aljamain's resume, I've said this before, like, 
I, I don't respect the dude as a champion. Like, I just, I, I, and it's not just me. Vera feels the same way. Dillashaw, Dillashaw was one arm. He had one arm and he went in there. And I, I'm just thinking, right? Like, I actually looked at the Piodian and Sterling rematch. And I'm thinking like this. If damage matters, then uh, O'Malley won against Yarn, but then Yarn won against Sterling. Or a draw, but not Sterling winning. That's actually how I feel. And, and the thing is, this Aljamain, yeah, okay, they're going to fight. Henry and Aljamain are going to fight. I just think Henry's just too good of a wrestler. What's Aljamain going to do on the feet? He hasn't got the skills. And I'm not the one, only one saying this. I'm not trying to disrespect him as a fighter, okay? Other people are saying, like Vera is saying this. And the other point was about the Masvidal thing um, from yesterday. I've got to disagree because I honestly feel that... Um, with what you said, because I, I wasn't disrespecting him as a fighter, but like I, I want to like uh, give my opinion on how he's been acting, and he's been acting really strange. He's been, he's become what he always didn't want to become, like this uh, gangster. He always used to be slick and funny, but now it's like always trying to be threatening. Uh, he's assaulting people like Colby, and he has zero accountability for that. He doesn't take any sort of blame whatsoever. So I stand by why I said. And I feel like fans should be able to criticize this idea that fans can't talk about MMA fighters, criticize MMA fighters because MMA fighters can beat them up. That's insane. That's like saying you can't criticize the government, otherwise they'll shoot you in the head. Like that, that's crazy. You should be able to um, talk and speak freely about fighters as long as you're not like going past certain limits like family or fighting ability. I'm just talking about how they're acting and Masvidal acted poorly he has acted poorly and wonderboy and holland i want to say is it over for wonderboy if he loses against holland is it over because it's a striker holland lunges in with his strikes that kung fu base it, it feels like he loses his balance you know and i just think wonderboy will take advantage if he loses it might be over if he wins i want to see him against a wrestler otherwise take him out the rankings like sean brady said drop the mic mike So with the Mazadal thing, like I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with, I'm not disagreeing with you that fans can say these things and have an issue. There are lines to be crossed. It's just fascinating that everybody just turned on him. That's the whole thing for me. This guy, like, this is the attitude he had when he became a star, and he lost to the two best welterweights in the world, and. Everyone just dumped on him. It's just fascinating to me. It's just fascinating the swings the sport can have, not just in the in the octagon, but out of it too. Um, is Wonderboy done if he loses? No. Because he's still a name. There's 580,000 cards they have to fill. People still care about Wonderboy. They'll put him on cards. And Wonderboy doesn't have to fight. He's not doing this. I mean, if you're going to do something, might as well try to be the best that you can at it. But Wonderboy doesn't need to fight. He just likes fighting. So, I don't think he's done. Still think there's fights for him. There's still value in him. He's, he's just a, a good dude. He's, he's the antithesis of what pe people who don't watch the sport, you just show them Wonderboy and you're like, oh, okay. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong. He's a nice guy. He's a nice feller. 
The Cejudo thing is just hilarious. It's just so funny. The whole thing is hilarious because, and we talked about this ad nauseum, how I feel about the situation. So I'm not really going to get into that. But as I said, after on the post fight show, and I said it on this show after UFC 280, there's only one person to blame for this. There's only one person to blame for this. And his name is Aljamain Sterling. This dude had the bag in hand. And then he, I don't know what he did. He sprayed Pam on his hands or something. And as he was running away with that bag, it slipped out of his hands and he just left it behind. You had the chance in the octagon at UFC 280 to secure the bag. And you didn't do it. Instead, you did the whole, whoever the UFC wants to give me, I'll fight him. I can't believe he did that. And then he tried to course correct himself along the way. Because, I don't know if you listen to this show. I mean, no one talks about this more than I did. Literally, no one talked about this situation more than I did. And then he went and did subsequent interviews and literally said what I said. Went to press conferences and literally said what I said. No one is dogging Cejudo's resume. Nobody is. Cejudo's resume is incredible. But the guy screwed the company over. And then he comes back. And we don't know if he's serious about fighting. We don't know. And Sterling started to realize that. Pushed for this O'Malley fight. But like I've said about Bilal Muhammad so many times... When the moment counts, you didn't do it. And that's what killed Bilal a lot of the ways. Is he gets on the mic after these big wins, and instead of calling for Hamzat Shabayev, which is the fight he should have called for two fights ago, he called for Colby and Usman. Fights he had no chance of getting. And then he realized, ah, damn it. Should have been Shabayev. And he does the interviews after. And then he gets Sean Brady instead of Hamza Shemaev, which he could have gotten had he called him out in the octagon. And he almost did it again at 280. Hey, Leon, where are you at? And then he, like, course corrected in the middle of his sentence and said, all right, Hamza, I'll fight you. And didn't even say his name. The wolf. I'll fight the wolf. And Sterling dropped it. He fumbled. The dude fumbled, and he tried to course correct. And now... We're getting Henry Cejudo, apparently, in March. Now, I will say this. As a fan and as an enthusiast of the sport, I'm interested in this fight. I want to see it. And I've said it from the beginning. I want to see it. I want to see what happens. Because Cejudo is a tremendous wrestler. I still don't think Aljo gets enough credit for how good he is. And the thing about Aljo is he's just such a freak athlete. And he's so big. He's going to be so much bigger than Cejudo. And that is... Who knows? I'm curious to see how this fight goes. But let me tell you what my first thought was when this fight was booked. And this is not me being, you know, not a journalist or being an Aljo hater or anything like that. The first thought in my mind when I saw this I hope Cejudo wins so bad. 
I hope Cejudo wins so bad, and then he gets on the microphone, and he says one of two things. Because he's going to say this, people. I'm just preparing you. He's going to say one of two things. I'm leaving again unless you pay me more money. Or two, I ain't fighting again unless it's Alexander Volkanovsky. And I'm going to laugh my ass off when that happens. And I'm going to come on the show Tuesday, much like a head took his victory lap today. I will take mine and I will take mine for a month because this is my issue with the whole fight in in the first place. Cause this is going to happen friends. This is going to happen. Henry Cejudo is not going to get on the microphone and call it Sean O'Malley. He's not going to do it. He's going to say, Hey, UFC, I'm leaving for more money. Or I'm not fighting ever again unless it's for the featherweight title. And I will laugh, laugh, laugh when that happens. Because it's going to, friends. And if Aljo wins, Cejudo probably ain't fighting again anyways. So for me, looking at this at this point, I have found a way that this isn't all bad. And even Cejudo winning is just hilarious now. It's just the funniest thing in the world. Now, here's what I think happened. O'Malley, a lot of people are arguing, saying, well, O'Malley fumbled the bag, actually. No, he didn't. O'Malley didn't fumble the bag. Because either way, no matter what happens, Sean O'Malley's next fight is going to be for a title. He ain't fighting Cheeto. He could fight Cheeto. If Cejudo wins, he probably will fight Cheeto for either an interim title or they will strip Henry Cejudo. Because if Cejudo beats Aljo and wins the belts, he ain't fighting Sean. I can tell you that right now. So Sean O'Malley's next fight's going to be for the belt. It doesn't matter who it is. And now Sean could take his time. He can let these two beat the hell out of each other. And he could sit back and wait. And he could do interviews and just get over and over and over. Headlines written about him left and right. He's fine. He didn't fumble shit. It was Alja who did. I also think that Cejudo was probably not the first choice here. I know Dana said his name. I'm still not fully convinced that Dana said his name without being sarcastic in some way. But I think, and I don't know this for sure. I have no insight to any of this, but it would not shock me at all if Cejudo was the cheaper option here. Sean wants more money if he's going to fight for the belt. He's, he's been saying this since day one. And if he gets Cejudo in there for cheaper and still accomplish, if Ahid's, what Ahid said is to be true, if you can pay more money to a guy who will probably lose or pay less money to a guy you feel is going to win, if you really want to take the belt off Aljo, well, then you're good. But I can't wait. I'm actually more interested in this fight. I I didn't think I'd be this interested and this excited for this fight. It took me some time. I even reacted. I said sigh because how it all played out. This is kind of like, I guess, my Buffalo Bills take from last year. There's no way they're going to do this because I didn't think the UFC would be this dumb. But they're going to do it, and I'm all for it. 
I've I've accepted it. Much like people had a problem with Volkanovsky fighting Makachev, much like people are having an issue with that, you just have to accept it and find positives in it, and you realize it's the two best fighters in the world fighting, according to the UFC pound for pound rankings. But this this Sterling Cejudo thing, I found a way to love it. I found a way to love it. Because, again, if Henry wins, it's going to be the best. It's going to be the best. And I'm going to come on this show and just laugh. I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to go live and laugh when he says, I ain't fighting again unless you pay me 20 gazillion dollars or I fight Volkanovsky. And I'm just going to laugh till I cry. And it's going to be the best show ever. So I'm in. I found my way into it because it's going to be hilarious. All right, well, let's get Australian talk in here, and then I really have to go. I've been lying saying I had to go like 20 minutes ago, but I really have to go now. What's up, Australian talk? Yeah, g'day, guys. Thank you very much, man. Uh, <laughs> you're talking about Volkanovski. We can't wait. Let's bring Islam over here. Uh, let's see our little 145 and go to 155. Remember, he used to be a front rower in rugby, so he used to get around in about 205, 210. So he's lost a significant amount of weight. Um, I think he'll go okay with the strength against Islam. Sugar Sean, we want to see him with a belt. He brings the party. He's got a real type of rock star persona about him. It's good. We want to watch his fights. Uh, But what about Bam Bam? And what about this Perth card? Any of you guys coming over? Are you going to make the trip down under? Are you going to get a business expense? Uh, what are we going to do? And is Chael Sonnen the next president of the UFC? Thank you. Uh, for next president of the UFC, no, because I think Dana Way will outlive us all. And he ain't leaving that seat until the day he dies, probably. At this point, even if it's like he doesn't want to do it, he's just going to do it like to spite everybody else. But no, it won't be chill. Will we be in Perth? I don't know. Perhaps. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And then the uh, O'Malley thing. I think he loses to Sterling, honestly. And I think he probably loses to Henry too, but it's a big fight. When he gets that fight, it's going to be big. And you cannot, you'll never be able to convince me that Sterling Cejudo right now does better on pay-per-view than Sterling O'Malley. Because Sterling Cejudo is a co-main event. That's a co-main event. That's probably going on, if they book, if they somehow book this Ngano Jones fight, that's the co-main event for that. Sterling O'Malley could headline a pay-per-view. Sterling Cejudo can't. Sorry. If they care about pay-per-view buys, Cejudo challenging Sterling is not a main event. Unless it has to be. But it wouldn't be targeted as a main event. Unless everything falls through. With Volk, listen, when I say those things about Volk, people not being into that fight, I ain't one of them. I'm in. I was in at UFC 280. I was on the fence a little bit. But just the way this divi- the featherweight division looks right now and 
I've always, I've defended Volk the entire time on everything he said about give me somebody, give me somebody, somebody stand out. No one has. The only one who's done it is Max Holloway. But at least we have an interim title fight. Someone could stand out. But if he beats Islam, I just don't see him going back to 45. Like, what's the point? What's the point of going back to 45 if you win the lightweight title? You just beat, you just beat the toughest opponent in the division. You just beat the hardest guy. You're not going to get the same amount of money, the same amount of intrigue fighting Josh Emmett or Yair or Arnold Allen that you would if you were fighting Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Connor, Gaethje, all these heavy hitters at 55. Like the biggest fights for Volker at 55. If he wins the lightweight title, why go back and forth? You could still have the image of you winning both titles. You could say, I want to be active. But why do that? Why put yourself through that when you can make all the money fighting at 55 and you just knocked off your toughest opposition? So we'll see what happens. All right, I got to go. Preview show, UFC Orlando, 3 p.m. Eastern time. We hope you'll join us. But until then, everybody, have a great rest of your Friday. And as always, have a heck of a morning. Media Podcast Network. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts.